0: We have, uh, as a quiet, as, as a family, my family, every Tuesday I teach our homeschool class. And uh, it's just one, been one of my favorite things that I get to do as a dad right now is, you know, break off wisdom, share with my kids, teach them one-on-one. It's really fun. But on Tuesdays, uh, we'll have a quiet time together, and in our time of devotions, um, like, we have a Bible reading plan, and so we know where we're going to be in in the Scriptures, what we're studying, Um, and we'll all read the same section of Scripture. We'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and then and I'm getting to coach my kids on how to hear God's voice you know, through the word for themselves. And so we'll spend a little time reading the scriptures on their own. They write down some of the things that they felt stood out to them and why, and then what they felt like God was saying through it. And then we share with each other afterwards. It's powerful. It's an amazing time. Super easy. Feel free to steal that, parents. Like, do that as a family, as a marriage. Like, go for it. You'll be amazed at what comes out of your kids. As, As you guys are practicing and learning to hear the Lord's voice and it's It's incredible what takes place, but on on often now I'm finding that when we do that as a family that what the topic is that we find like God is like putting his hand on ends up being the very thing that I preach it's It's so much fun because I get to do half the work and I just steal my kid's revelation. It's fantastic. I get to share with you but this week we were in uh we're in Mark chapter 14, and, and I'm going to invite you to go there. If you would open up to Mark chapter 14, we're going to read the first section there, verses 1 through 10. I, I really, really, truly believe that the Lord is restoring and reconciling and redeeming broken relationships. I believe that he's taking pain and turning it into treasure. We sang, you turn, you know, bones into armies. You take ashes and you turn it into beauty. This is what he does. What a prophetic declaration here. He takes the difficult and costly experiences in our life and he transforms them into something beautiful. Has anyone in here, by show of hands, ever gone through something difficult in their life? (laughs) Okay, who has never gone through something difficult in your life, right? Never. You've never gone through? Oh, bless your heart. (laughs) Life is filled with trouble. Jesus said it. It said, in this life, in this world, you will face difficulties, troubles. But take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. So somewhere in Jesus' victory is the antidote for taking your pain and turning it into something beautiful. Mark 14, verse 1. The Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, or Jesus, by stealth and kill him. That's a bad day. Basically, the people in political power and religious control were trying to kill Jesus. They saw him as an enemy. They needed to get him out of the public eye because they saw that he was going to provoke Rome. I'm sure there was lots of suspicion. There were reasons why they did not want him continuing to be a public figure. They didn't like it. Not just that he was saying stuff that stirred people up. There was fear that this would result in Rome coming in and destroying them as a nation It was undermining their authority as the ruling council of the Jews. There was all sorts of things at play. Jesus was a polarizing figure. still is today, isn't he? Bring up Jesus' name not in the form of a cuss word in your workplace, and, and you might find yourself talking to HR later on that week. It's incredible. He's still a polarizing figure, but he was in their day as well. They were saying, "Ah, we can't do this like publicly, not during the festival verse 2, otherwise there might be a riot." They didn't want the people getting crazy and there being a riot. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, so I want you to imagine Jerusalem, right? Mount Zion, it's like a hill and Jerusalem is built around it, was the city of David, and it expands. If you go there today, it's still that same place, and they know where Bethany is. It's across a valley, and there's a, another town. It's like a small town. One town over, that's where Jesus is hanging out. He's at the home of Simon the leper, and they're reclining at the table. And while they're reclining... There came a woman with an alabaster vial. Everybody say alabaster. Okay, what is it? Alabaster is a stone. So this is not the description of a vial in terms of like what it would look like or its shape or something. It's literally saying this is a a vial. This is a container that's made out of alabaster stone. And we know this from history. There's lots of these that have been found. We know what they look like. We know what their experiences are. People would take precious oils and perfumes, things of liquid value, and put them in alabaster containers, and then they would seal them up with like wax. They would make it so that it could be preserved. And they have found that that preservation process, it li- really does. It It contains and it can hold the, the scent of the perfume. It can hold the value of what's in it for long periods of time, years even. There came a woman with an alabaster vial. It was a very costly uh, perfume of pure nard. She broke the vial, and she poured it over Jesus' head. Verse 4, Some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why was this perfume wasted? It could have been sold for over 300 denarii. The money could have been given to the poor. And they were scolding her. So they have taken now what she's done and they're using it as a weapon against her. 300 denarii, if you follow your little note there, where it'll be like a little A or something in your Bible, you go to the bottom of the page where the note is and it tells you how much a denarii is worth. One day's wage. And so this is 300 denarii. It's a year's wage. One year. Take your annual salary, gross, not net, before Uncle Sam takes his cut, okay? Before you pay into anything, I'm not talking about your bank account and what you have left over. I'm talking about your year's pay. Think about it. Now put it in a little jar and hang it around your neck. That's what it was. You know, in that day, this kind of object would have been carried by young virgin women looking to get married. This is the mark of a dowry. The size of the vial would have told would-be suitors how big the dowry is going to be if you marry this girl. So in some ways, this thing marks her future. This alabaster vial is a, it stands for, you know, her future relationship. It stands for, very likely, I mean, almost, almost a hundred percent, it would have been the most valuable object that this girl possessed, this woman possessed. And I don't know how old she is. It doesn't tell us. Maybe she's young. Maybe, maybe she's older. Maybe she's past the marrying age in terms of, like, what people are looking for. Maybe there's a greater cost involved here that we're just unaware of, that there's pain associated with this vial. Maybe she got rejected by somebody. Maybe there's more pain involved with this. Maybe this was the last gift of her dying father. Saying to her, "Here is all I have, honey. I'm going to give it to you. And one day that, that man, Prince Charming, is going to come along and marry you and you, everything's going to be okay. You can let me go in peace. Here it is. And, and it's the last will and testament of her daddy. I don't know. You don't know. We can read into it many things, but all we know is that when the disciples, the people are supposed to be the believers, the good guys. When they saw that she broke it over Jesus, they pinged. They wigged out. They said, what are you doing? Look at Jesus' response, verse 6. Leave her alone. Let her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a good deed to me. You always will have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you won't always have me. That's a really powerful statement there. You can do good to the poor anytime you want, and so you're ticked that we didn't use this to do good, but when you had a little extra pocket change last week, and you saw that person walking with a sign, and you didn't give it to them, do you understand that you feel guilty right now and you're pointing it at somebody else who should have done good and you didn't do the good you knew you ought to do. A little bit of residual guilt aimed as an accusation against somebody else. Man, when you point the finger, everybody do it. Point your finger. You know, I love that statement. There are three more pointing back at you. The reason why you're accusing somebody is probably because you're guilty yourself. The reason why you're thinking about it is because you also violated that. You're recognizing adultery in somebody else because you had lust in your own heart. You're seeing it and recognizing the faults of other people and how it should have been done, but the reality is that when you had the opportunity, you didn't do it either. And so we got this thing popping up in here, and it's messy and gross, and Jesus steps in and goes, ah, 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 boys. No, no, leave her alone. You always have the poor. You can do good to them anytime, but you won't always have me. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Man, that's amazing. Verse 10. This is where we'll pause. Then, everybody say then. Okay, so it's an if-then statement. Something happened beforehand. Then, in response to this, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him. In response... To this woman's offering, the offense drove the wedge, and Judas betrayed Jesus. There's something powerful happening in these little verses here. There's something that's like, there's an undertow here, yeah? What's going on that this would so trigger Judas that this is the moment I want you to take a journey with me this morning. You all right? You gonna be able to do it? Mm hmm. Why did she waste it? What is happening here? What's going on that this woman takes and breaks over Jesus? Her life savings, her most valuable thing. What's happening that the people around her look at it and they go, Injustice shouldn't have happened. Something in this experience is causing them to manifest an idea that this was wrong, shouldn't have happened. Do you know what what injustice is? It's the violation of what the standard is meant to be. It is the treatment different than what it's supposed to have been. There's a scripture that talks about God's throne, God's authority. It says that God's throne is upon two things. Anybody know what they are? God's throne is upon righteousness and justice. It's established upon righteousness, a standard, what is right. The clear moral standard, that is what righteousness is, the law. Here is the standard, and then justice is upholding that standard with consistency. No violation to the standard. Holding everyone to the standard. So God's authority, his throne, is based upon his standard and his equal treatment to everyone, according to the standard. So when God says something, when God makes a command, when God makes a judgment, it is upheld because it is consistent with the righteous standard and he is upholding it through that judgment or that choice, that decision. In our country, we have laws. Those laws are meant to be a standard. We have a system called our justice system, and that system is meant to uphold the standard equally, with equity, no violation to the the rights of an individual to be held to that standard. We have agents, commissioned officers, whose job is to uphold the standard according to consistent justice. When we have an experience of the violation of that consistency, in other words, we treat someone not equally under law, we cry foul, that was unjust. When you have a public display of that experience, and the crowd sees it recognizes it this is what the pharisees are trying to avoid because they knew that their taking jesus prisoner and killing him was not just they knew and they knew that the people would throw a riot why because it's a violation of what's right and true they knew and so in today's day and age all of us have experiences firsthand where we have video now to recognize when something not just, takes place. And watch what society does. Woo! Freak out. Rightfully so. But what's the demand? The demand is we be treated with justice under the standard. Or if the standard is wrong, then we change the law so that all people can be treated equally. Are you alive? That is the basis of authority. Parents, it's the basis of your authority. In your household, if you set a standard and you hold your children to that standard, but you violate it yourself, they will cry foul. Right? Why would they listen to you? You don't take it seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. Anytime there is injustice, there's a pain, there's an experience that begins to take place. When we feel like something was, it's not fair, it's not okay, we experience that, there's this resentment that begins to take place. Now, what could happen in Judas's heart that that resentment would take him to the point where he goes, that was it, I'm done. The straw that breaks the camel's back. Jesus says... This was done for my burial. Judas Iscariot, who was a zealot, who is trying to to overthrow Rome, listens to the one we've called Messiah say he's going to submit to death. He's offended by it. He's angered by it. It goes way beyond that, y'all. There is an injustice that is being cried by these people. The disciples look at her pouring out this costly nard on Jesus' head, and they go, Injustice! And they begin to revile her and they're like why would you do this i cannot believe you do this we could have sold this for the poor and jesus interrupts the whole thing and goes oh you don't understand what she's done and then he provides a prophetic purpose for her costly offering and when he gives explanation of the prophetic purpose of the costly offering It shuts down the offense and forces them to have to reconcile with it. You told me before that you've experienced moments of pain in your life, experiences that are not okay, difficulties, hardships. What do you do with those? What do you tell yourself at night? What happens when the person that said forever Walks out the door and says, I don't choose you anymore. What do you do with that? What happens when somebody who is supposed to be there to walk you down the aisle, the dad who is meant to defend is taken early and you feel the void of their absence way too early to be gone. The cry of the heart is, why? Why did that happen? And it feels like injustice. How do you process that? Because this woman is offering the most costly thing that she has freely to Jesus. Now, we don't know. We don't know. Did she know that he was going to be buried? Did she know that he was going to die? Or is this just something that welled up in her and she just felt like, I have to give what I have. Whatever I can do, I need to give it to him. We don't know if she understood. Have you ever gone through something and you just don't understand? And it sits there like a pit in your stomach. And it doesn't go away. That pit in your stomach, that resentment, if you will, the gap, that thing of like, why did this happen? When you don't understand, that thing can cause an offense. If you let there sit there long enough, you'll begin to accuse God. I want to tell you today, I want to say it as clearly as I can, that your experience in God is 100% being determined by how you tell your story to yourself. Because he has fully given himself to you, he has not restrained the outpouring of his spirit. The flow of your life is meant to go from glory to glory to glory. You might have difficulty come against you, but how you choose to process that difficulty is determining if you'll keep moving forward or not. Y'all, this thing, I'm telling you the truth today, and if you'll get free today, if you'll receive this today, whoo! like a rocket ship, your life's about to take off. Because there is nothing standing in the way between you and fulfillment of what God has called you to. Nothing is standing in the way. Nobody can prevent you. Nobody can stand in the way. Only you. The devil can't. He cannot restrain. You have overcome him. You overcome the world. (sighs) Unless, 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 you take the pain and the disappointments and you begin to use those pains and disappointments to separate yourself from your Messiah. And those disappointments become accusations. Look at what happens to Judas. There's two stories here that we're seeing. We have Judas and we have this woman. This woman, amazing her story. Judas, not so much. This woman, Jesus said... That as she poured out this costly vial, Jesus said of her that this was prophetic, that it had great meaning to it, and that because she stepped into that by faith, that she would be celebrated wherever Jesus' story was told. Look at us today. Here we are. We're talking about it. 2023. 2,000 years later, we're talking about this woman. Heaven celebrated what she did. She took and offered freely the most expensive and costly thing in her life. She poured out her most costly possession, and it was so prophetic and so filled with purpose that her sacrifice was shared all over the world, still is, and that she is celebrated in heaven. Judas, however, used this moment as proof that Jesus is only going to disappoint, that Jesus is not going to do what you thought he was going to do. Judas takes this situation turns it into an offense in his heart and makes room for, and the scripture says, that that is the very moment that the devil came and possessed Judas. His distance, he created the distance from Jesus. He created it by the offense. He used the painful moment, the betrayal of what he wanted. Judas was a zealot. He wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. He used The betrayal that he recognized, he used it as fuel to distance himself from Jesus enough to partner with an accusation and it destroys. it's the same thing we still do today. We partner with disappointment to turn it into accusation and reasons not to trust God, to distance ourselves from him. And as a result, demonic stuff happens in our life. And then we blame God for it. Our church was only, I mean, it's a few months old, not very much at all. This young woman named Angela started attending. And one night after service, it was a powerful night. One night after service, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Jamie, I wanna be a member of this church. And we had never, we didn't have any membership. We didn't have anything. You know, it was, we were so young, it was like, I don't know. I, I frankly, I didn't even have any expectation in that season that this thing was gonna like last another month. And she's like, I want to be a member. And, and it, the Lord used it really powerfully I mean, like, hey, you're making a home for the lonely. You should make room for people. And, and so, so we said yes. I said, okay, Angela. And me and the, the one elder that we had, Ron Olson, gathered around her, laid hands on her, received her. Okay. You know, you're in. No process. We didn't know what we're doing. I, I don't know. Just, you're a member. Yay. Okay. I wasn't even a member at the time, you know? <laughs> a few months later, she committed suicide. Sorry, I didn't mean to take you down that road. I, I'm not trying to trick you here. I'm trying to tell you pain, pain point for me. And can I tell you how much fear existed in my heart after that? What the heck are we doing? So much spiritual battle could consume a young woman. Like, whoa. Uh, not sure I signed up for that, God. not sure I'm prepped for that. I don't even feel like a real pastor, and yet I was supposed to, like, cover this person and help bring some kind of relief, and, and like, I couldn't. Total failure. Total failure. And now I'm spinning. I'm spinning. I don't have rhyme or reason. I don't know how to frame this. I'm just devastated. Right? One ticket I've ever received in my life Speeding ticket. Anybody ever got a speeding ticket? Talk about righteousness and justice. Right? It's a clear standard if you violate it. You can argue with them, but they don't have to listen to you. You can protest the ticket. You can go in and you can prove to the judge that, you know, there's a reason for you going X amount of miles over the speed limit or, or that they're lying or whatever you need to tell yourself to give yourself permission to speed. Fine. Okay? In my case, I heard the news and then I needed to go talk to the parents and we needed to plan a funeral. I, I've never done a wedding. I've never done a funeral. I know nothing. I don't, I'm not sure I'm really a pastor. And so we live like 45 minutes away and so I did the one logical thing I knew. I jumped on my 1200cc super bike. A crotch rocket. Okay? I jumped on my motorcycle and I decided that it would be a good idea to just get to where I was going without a care in the world. And so I jumped on that throttle and I was going over 100 miles an hour. If anybody knows the roads, 282 and 13, it's between Jordan and Prior Lake. It's the one road in Minnesota you should not speed on. Okay? Because it is lined with sheriffs. Because the sheriff's shop is right there. And this was my protest. This is my declaration. Shaking my fist. I don't care. I don't have a reason why. I don't understand what just happened. And I don't care. And so I jumped on the throttle. And I'm going over 100 miles an hour. Weaving in and out of cars. woah, It's a 55. And I get to the intersection of 13 and 282 right in front of the sheriff's office. And boo! (laughs) Saw that one coming. Now I'm late for the funeral planning meeting. I turn my bike off. Stepped away, took my helmet off, standing there waiting for him. And I heard the whap as he shut his car door, slammed it. You know, the clickety-clack of someone on a mission who is not happy. I can hear him muttering and cussing under his breath. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> walking to me. You know, I handed him my military ID, I'm a veteran, sir. I have rights. <laughs> my veteran ID, my license, you know, and uh, whatever else he asked for. And he he said, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir. He said, hmm, good answer. And he turned around and he walked away. I <laughs> could have given him excuses. I could have... He right, could have done anything. And he came back with the largest ticket. But see, in that moment, he could have put me in handcuffs and just walked me across the street for reckless endangerment. There's so many things he could have got me, for. my license could have been gone forever. There's so many layers of that. And I took that ticket with joy in my heart. Right? It's Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. This is the most expensive ticket I've ever even heard of as far as a traffic violation. Right, And and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I go before a judge and I could plead my case. I could say, this is what happened. I'm really sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Would you lower the fee? I could do all that stuff. But instead, I felt in this moment, I was like, no, what? No. Violation, just pay the stupid fine. It's the mercy of God that I'm not in jail right now. Justice. In light of what felt like injustice for Angela. I didn't understand. No concept, no way to resolve it. Maybe there's a promise of like a friendship, and it was supposed to last forever, and you guys were going to go do great things, for it, and then one day it just they stopped. One day maybe there's an offense in the relationship. One day maybe something happens, and you guys are going to end up going parting ways, and you don't. It's left with unresolved experience inside of you. It's, there's no resolution to it. I don't know why your dad was a jerk. I don't know. I don't know why he neglected you. I don't know why your mom was abusive and used to call you names. I don't know. I have no reasoning for you, and it won't matter if you even come up with reasoning. Because it's not going to solve the injustice that's still in your heart. I don't know why they died. I don't know why you got in an accident why something was taken from you. I don't know why. I don't know why you have that diagnosis right now, and you're dealing with the ramifications of it. I don't know why the last church you were in rejected you and refused to receive you. And I don't know why these things happen to you. They're injustices. What are you going to do with them? See, if you take those injustices, and you create distance between yourself and the Lord, it will leave room for demonic accusation that will turn into torment and will destroy your life. That's a promise. Matthew 18 says it very clearly. If you refuse to give mercy to these situations, that there are tormentors that are part of this. You're a son or a child of God, a daughter of God, and he loves you so much. Can I tell you, That your progress in life, almost all of it, your lack of progress, the things that keep hamstringing you, the things that you keep stumbling over, boy, I I could almost guarantee the majority of it is from unresolved issues between you and your daddy, your parents. Because you're telling yourself stories and interpreting your life experiences based on what they projected upon you. And your Father in heaven loves you so much, and He is desperate to help you resolve these things and give you prophetic purpose so that your costly offering can be turned into something that is your testimony and can be shared in the glory of God. But He has done everything that He can, He has resolved all of the issues on His side of the equation. And so 100% it is on you. Are you going to allow the Lord to redeem this or are you going to hold on to it? Are you holding on to that resentment and using it as fuel to never trust that person again? To never let yourself be in that situation again? That's unfortunate because the Lord wants to partner you up with somebody just like them so that you can do great things. And so your pain is actually preventing your destiny. That's unfortunate. Are you allowing him to speak into that situation? Because the more that you hold on to it, the more that it remains unresolved, oh, the more vain imagination and story you will tell yourself, and justification for things, and you will give permission for dark stuff in your life, and it's totally unnecessary. If you hold on to that resentment between your spouse, it could end in divorce. If it doesn't end in divorce, it was going to lead to distance, and you're not going to have much of a union, even if you stay in the same house. Having kids doesn't fix things. No, if something has happened, if someone violated your trust, you've got to fix that. You've got to go at that. You can't leave it. Go heal it. Someone betrayed your trust in the church? Well, that means that I, is it the last straw that you're shaking your fist? If it doesn't work out this time, I'm out of here, God. Forget it. Can I tell you that your kids, especially if you have adult kids that aren't walking with the Lord, do you know that they're probably using you as their excuse to not walk with him? They're blaming you. My dad, fill in the blank, and they're using it as ammunition to distance themselves from their creator. Okay, moms and dads, how about let's be active and go fix that? What are you waiting on? Your pride to go away? No. You're a father. Humble yourself and go fix it. You're a mother. Go fix it. But they won't talk to me. They won't. They, 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 blame, blame, blame. Knock that crap off. Humble yourself and do whatever it takes. It takes you the rest of your life to prove to them your love, then do it. Don't allow the devil to have a foothold. (laughs) It's like four claps. Good, 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 good. We're getting somewhere. (laughs) Y'all, people have asked me what they think and I'm talking to, I've shared little bits of this, but I'm talking to leaders around the world who are experiencing kind of revival and, and we're talking about it like, what do you think this is about? You know what I think it's about? I think we've been prophesying this for like 20 years. I know we have. I know I have. It's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I really think this is, this is what God's doing in the earth right now. He is sending a prophetic reality into the world. The Elijah has come. And he has come to turn the hearts of fathers towards their children and children towards their fathers so that there is not the curse or the brokenness would remain so that the blessing of generations can come from their generation to the next generation. He's not wanting separation between generations. So he's doing something supernatural to give us opportunity to heal the division between generations There is an anointing from God right now to heal the brokenness between generations. Fathers, turn your hearts towards your kids. What God's doing in you right now, make sure they get it. Make sure they receive it. Do everything in your power to transfer, to pass off what God's doing in you. Make sure they understand. Make sure they can hear. Impart it to them. Do everything you can. Because in your healing that relationship, this is where we see it. This is where we see transformation. This is where we see brokenness removed. This is where we see lives transformed. If there's a billion soul youth harvest that's at hand right now, you know what they're waiting on? Fathers. To turn their hearts towards them. And we have all the reasons in the world to be, like, offended and not like and the expression and the blah, 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 entitled bunch of yahoos. I, you know, y'all, I hope you're hearing me today. Hear me with your heart. I want you to get healed. you got to get healed. Let the Lord work something in you today. This is what it looks like. It's fairly simple. Take all your painful experiences all your disappointments, that is your alabaster jar. It's the costly nard of the perfume of your life of everything life has cost you. And you must give it to Jesus. And in you breaking it and leaving it upon Jesus, he will assign prophetic purpose. And when he gives prophetic purpose for your pain, all that pain goes away. And suddenly you're walking in destiny. It's really that simple. Disappointments, frustrations, pains, oh, disease is in this too, y'all. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But if we'll surrender it to him, he'll speak into it. He'll heal you. He'll restore you. Doesn't have to continue to bring torment in your life. He turns injustice into triumph. He wants to heal your brokenness. There's more stuff here, but I think we're good. You got it, right? I get excited when I'm up here. I'm not mad. Don't, don't misinterpret. I'm really not mad. I'm, I'm praying for us. I'm praying for us. I don't have answers for the disappointments. I just know that until I turned it over to Jesus, Angela's suicide felt like a weight. Until I turned it over for Jesus, to Jesus, I could not reconcile why my mother dies of cancer when I'm so young and my sister's only 12 years old. She grows up without a mom. I don't reconcile that very easily. I can't. What it took was offering it to the Lord and saying to him, Lord, I don't understand, but I surrender it to you. I'm pouring it out at your feet, Jesus. And in my pouring it out, in my giving it to him, that's where he stands up and defends me and brings healing. Just stand up wherever you're at there. I need you just in this moment to so let yourself, let yourself be reminded. The Holy Spirit does a good job of this, but as I was talking today, there's a good chance that maybe you thought of a specific situation. That's how he does things. A disappointment, a frustration, a pain in your life. Maybe you thought of something. If you don't have anything, you don't need to go, I don't need you to go digging for it. Okay, but If the Holy Spirit's been putting his hand on something, his finger on something, then just let him minister to you. Jesus is here. And his throne is established in justice and righteousness. And and he is so desperate. He paid the price so that you could be healed and whole. So this morning, would you just surrender it to him? Would you give it to him? I just want you just quietly, under your breath, if there's something specific, I I just want you to say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you my pain. I give you my disappointment. If you can get specific, wow, it can be powerful. Lord, I'm really, I'm in pain over my spouse leaving me. Jesus, I don't understand why they died. I don't know why I have lived my whole life in pain as a cripple. I don't know why, Jesus, but I know you are good. And I trust you. Can you turn your pain into trust? Surrender it to him today. Come on, church. Just just begin to relate to him. Holy Spirit, come. Would you come and have your way, Lord? You turn brokenness into beauty you turn pain into joy you turn my sorrow you turn it into laughter I trust you Lord I trust you, Lord. Jesus, we hear your knock at the door of our lives today and we invite you in. Friends, if you've got some disappointment or pain going on in your marriage, just invite him in. Get real with it. Let him speak to you. Let him work on your heart. If there's been betrayal between the two of you, then this day. Don't, don't, don't just leave it. Say sorry. Like, you probably don't even need to repeat what it was. I bet you can just say, I'm sorry. I love you. I want to walk with you in life. I bet he comes. I bet his presence comes. I bet healing begins as soon as you let it go. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come. Listen, every one of us in this room has disappointments with our dads. Every one of us. It's impossible not to. You, Best they could do. I, I'm trying to be the best father I can, but there's just no way that I haven't caused pain or misunderstanding or disappointment in my kids. There's just no way. But I know that the Father in heaven is perfect and that he loves them so much. And so if you are carrying pain or resentment or unforgiveness... Maybe your dad or mom has already passed away and so you don't know how to make it right. Well, you can in the Lord. Just bring it to him right now. Like an alabaster jar, would you just break it over and give it to Jesus? Lord, I surrender it to you. I don't understand and it wasn't fair, but I surrender it to you. Be my dad. Be my heavenly father. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. spirit you're at work and you're doing a work in people and i want to be sensitive to that today and i'm going to bring the service to a close but we'll put some kind of worshipful music on if you're needing to kind of work through something in his presence today i just want to invite you like don't run out of here you know the altars can be used you can use the seats we'll just we'll we'll kind of leave some worshipful music on and the rest of us, you know, we'll, 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 we'll let you be here. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you as well. But don't run out of here unless as the Holy Spirit's doing something. Let him finish the work in you. Father, I thank you for your people today. For those who have been far away from the Lord, all you gotta do is just turn your heart back to him right now and just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Please forgive me. Please wash me. Be my dad. Be my savior, Jesus. Come into my life. I want you in my life. Lord, we surrender afresh today, Lord Jesus. Come in every way. Father, I bless your people today. I bless them. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. Keep going. I bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you may the lord's favor be on your life oh may he be so gracious to you things would go well i bless you today that his peace would guard your hearts and minds no more torment pray these things in jesus mighty name and if everybody who dared to agree with that said come on can we give a good clap to the lord